Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate asked, What is truth? This is the word of the Lord. Pontius Pilate was not a nice person. The first century historian Josephus says that Pilate was assigned to be governor of Judea in the year 26, and that he served for 10 years. Even the Romans saw that after 10 years, Pilate was mean-spirited, hateful, vengeful, and recalled him. But one week during that 10-year period, on a Sunday, he had ridden a magnificent stallion from the west, Caesarea, into the city of Jerusalem, to be sure that everyone was going to behave properly that week of Passover. As Pilate, with all of that legion of Roman soldiers, came from the west, Jesus came into the east gate, first riding down a winding trail on the Mount of Olives on a burro, with his toes almost dragging in the dust. Friday morning of that week, they stood face to face. Six o'clock. Daybreak. Jesus is handed over. The synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, say that Jesus said nothing. John has a conversation between Jesus and Pilate. Where the synoptics, particularly Matthew and Luke, have parables, and Dr. Brandon Scott says all those parables of Jesus are about the kingdom of God, John looks at the gospel from a different set of eyes, from a different perspective, and uses this conversation to say what he believes is important about the king and the kingdom. Nine times in the lection for today, he uses the word basileus, or king, or kingdom. Let's take a look. Number one, John says, early in the morning... They handed him over to Pilate. And a little bit later in the conversation, Jesus said, My supporters would have been fighting for me if my army were like those of the rest of the world, if my kingdom was like them, but instead I have been handed over. After Jesus was crucified and raised seven weeks later, great pilgrimage into the city, People had been hearing stories that the one crucified was alive again. They got Simon Peter, told him to explain what was going on. And in his remarks, he said, This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified. John uses that word. He was handed over. Handed over, which means God is saying, You decide. You make a decision. 
Dr. Raymond Brown, who taught on the Gospel of John for 40 years at Yale Divinity School and produced two big, thick volume commentary on John's Gospel, said, Do you notice here how John, in writing this conversation, moves from Jesus being on trial to Pilate's being on trial? Pilate is going to have to make a decision. Pilate is going to have to decide. Have you noticed several times this fall I've had a point in the sermon about decision-making? Just before the recent elections, there was a column in the Wall Street Journal written by Shirley Wang called, Why Do So Many Have Such a Hard Time Making Up Their Minds? And it was about all the people who were still saying, Undecided. Undecided. Who's your candidate for senator? Undecided. Congress? Undecided. Governor? Undecided. Down to city council? Undecided. Why do so many have so much trouble making up their minds? Every week, I make telephone calls. And I'm trying to help people make a decision. I ask, what would it take for you to profess faith in Christ and be baptized. And then I stop talking and I listen. If they've already been baptized, I ask, what would it take now that you're worshiping here, not where you were baptized, what would it take for you to join the Boston Avenue United Methodist Church? And I quit talking and listen to what they say. But if I get the same answer from the same person enough times, I move on. I don't know. What would it take? I don't know. I'm not sure. Why can't people make up their minds? Who is this person, Jesus of Nazareth? Who is he? Number two, Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? This is found in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, every one of them says this is the question Pilate is asking. Are you the king of the Jews? Are you? And this is the question that Pilate is going to have to somehow answer in his own mind. He doesn't want to. He's going to have to make a decision about whether this person represents some danger to him or not, about whether he's going to find this person innocent and let him go free. If so, how's he going to deal with those screaming folks just outside the walls? How's he going to deal with them just outside the praetorium? Are you? Recently, Dr. John Buchanan, editor of Christian Century Magazine, still pastor of Fourth Presbyterian Church in Chicago, a former Barton Clinton Gordy presenter here was writing about Dr. Ernie Campbell. Dr. Campbell died. He was one of Presbyterian's greatest. I got to hear him on several occasions. He came to Beaumont, Texas while I was there. I've told you we had five Protestant churches that decided to go together and have a Lenten series every year. But if we pooled our money, all five of us together, maybe we could bring the greatest preachers in America to Beaumont, Texas. That's when the disciples brought Fred Craddock, and we all discovered, yeah, he was one of the really great ones, still is. And the Presbyterians, their year, 
brought Ernie Campbell. I never thought he would come from Riverside Church in New York City. He did. He was terrific. I sat there amazed. I got to hear him several other times. After I came to Tulsa, he and Dr. Bill Wiseman knew each other. Dr. Wiseman talked him into coming and being in the Wiseman series. And I went every time he was at First Pres during the Lenten series. One of those times, they had lunch for area clergy right after the worship service for the congregation. And I bought a ticket. I sat as close as I could to Dr. Campbell. And I listened to him. He said, I know what you guys and gals are up against. You have some fly-by-nighter come into Tulsa. They go out to the malls and they ask people, what do you want when you go to church? Want a donut and a cup of coffee? Hey, we got donuts and coffee. You don't want to dress up? You don't have to dress up to come to our church. You don't want to make a commitment? You don't have to make a commitment. You just want to come and have, come and have a good time. Come as you are. Do whatever you want. They spend two or three million dollars on a, an arcade of games for all the young people and the kids. Of course, they don't let them out of there till they make their pitch every time. Every time. Every time. They don't support universities. They don't support homes for the aged. They don't support preschools, day schools. They just run their show. And they have none one week and they have 3,000 the next week. I know what you're up against. You worry every week, will they come downtown after 100 years? Will they come next Sunday? Will they come? So I'm going to tell you how to write a pastoral prayer, said. I'm going to teach you how to write a pastoral prayer. And he spent 30 minutes on that. Before he died, he published a book of prayers, prayed at Riverside Church. They're wonderful. One Sunday morning he prayed, Oh God, help all of those who are up against deadlines, times, a circle on a calendar. Some who have been sentenced to so many years, they cannot imagine that circle date will ever come for them. Some will have to pay the rent next week and they don't have the money. Some who have a baby coming next month and they are not prepared. Some will have a wedding already penciled in on the church calendar and they're not really sure they're ready to make that kind of commitment. And the date's getting closer and closer. But on Easter one year he prayed, Oh God Almighty, death is finished. Love prevails, and Christ is here. We know it. Number three. Jesus said, Pilate, my kingdom is not like all these other kingdoms. It's not from this world. Scholars say Pilate only knew one kind of king. The Caesar in Rome. That's the kind of king he knows. The same kind described over in the Hebrew Scriptures when it says about the time when David lived. It was the spring of the year when kings go out to war. That's what kings had done for centuries. And the winning king and the winning general had bronze statues made of them on a magnificent horse. But in the last hundred years, some have chosen to view war a little bit differently. A couple of years ago, Gail and I were in London again. We had a hotel not far from Buckingham Palace. And we spent more time than we had before walking in the immediate downtown of London. 
There's a magnificent war memorial there to the artillery, the Royal Artillery in World War One. Just two years before, she and I had spent a whole Sunday afternoon in Flanders in Belgium. We had a guide leading us around explaining in Flanders fields the poppies grow between the crosses row on row thousands died at Flanders thousands the French and the English said the Germans would go no farther they dug in the Germans dug in and for four years they shelled each other day and night thousands died when World War I was over, the Royal Artillery planned a memorial for downtown London. There's a howitzer right up on top, sculpted out of marble. It's magnificent. But there's a number engraved in marble, 49,076 dead. Just from the artillery, 49,076 dead. And there's a bronze of one of the artillerymen lying with just a coat sort of thrown down over his face after he died. Have you seen the Vietnam Wall? Everybody should go to Washington and walk down that black wall. It says war is not so glamorous. Why do we keep sending our young men and women to war? Why do we have so many mothers and fathers grieving the loss of sons and daughters, young wives losing husbands, husbands losing wives, children losing parents? My kingdom is not of this world. Wrong Basilius, Pilate, wrong Basilius. Number four. I was sent for this. To bear witness to the truth. Yeah, what is truth? Well, the truth is what God, what Jesus was saying about God. What he was saying about God. Father Crossan, in his latest book on the Lord's Prayer, says to a people who wanted the name of God to be so special that they didn't even whisper the name, Jesus said, when you pray, say, Abba, Daddy, Papa, Dad, in heaven, give us today daily bread. God is like the mother, father, we all dreamed about and wanted so much that in small doses we experienced, we came to know, well, God is just more, just more of that. Father, Dr. Carlisle Marnie was one of the great Baptist preachers. Perhaps the greatest full manuscript preacher I ever heard. By preaching from a full manuscript, every phrase was carefully honed. He had a voice like James Earl Jones. He didn't scream, didn't yell. He just had this rich, resonant voice. And he could turn those pages masterfully. But he was very honest and one time had said... The part of the gospel that gave him the most trouble was the resurrection. 
that word got out that Marnie had said that. He was preaching at a small college in South Carolina when a student asked, Dr. Marnie, what do you believe about the resurrection? And this is what Marty said. I will not discuss the resurrection with the people like you. I don't discuss such things with anyone under 30 years old. Look at you all in the prime of life. Never have you known honest to God failure, heartburn, impotency, solid defeat, brick walls, or mortality. You're extremely apt and handsome. White kids who've never in all your lives been 30 miles from home or 20 minutes into the New Testament. More than a mile and a half from a Baptist or Methodist church or within a thousand miles of any issue that mattered to a kingdom that matters. So what can you know of a world that makes sense only if Christ is raised? Shortly before he died, he was preaching in a Baptist church in Greenville, South Carolina. And as the host pastor drove him back to the hotel afterward, he said, Marnie, by George, it sounded like you believe in the resurrection. And Dr. Marnie said, well, I do when I'm around the right people.